0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you?
1: Hello and welcome back to Her Hoop Stats Unplugged. As always, you're here with Megan Gower. And we've just seen continue to see chaos in NCAA women's basketball. Lots of upsides in the past two weeks, lots of changes at the top. Stanford and Ohio State both losing. So that's that's big news. A lot going on. And For this week's episode, we're going to talk some about Bracketology. Obviously, a little early in the season. We haven't gotten a top 16 seed release from the committee yet. Would expect to see one of those in the next week or two. We haven't gotten dates on those, but timing-wise, compared to last year, we should see one soon. Um, And then, I mean, obviously, when we talk about Bracketology at this time of year, so much is going to change between now and Selection Monday. But I think we're starting to get... A little bit of a clearer picture maybe particularly at the top and things are moving around a lot but still an interesting topic to start kind of weighing in on how will that tournament field look like when we get to the ncaa tournament and how kind of some of the stuff going on will play play into that going forward so i i do our recordology over at her hoops that so we put out a first look at our top 16 seeds two weeks ago now. So it was, it's about two weeks old. So obviously plenty has changed in two weeks, the way the season is going, but just a quick rundown of the teams that were in that top 16 seeds. Like I said, that would change at this point, but I think a lot of this group is probably a similar set of names. So starting at the top, South Carolina, number one, overall, then you had Ohio state, Stanford, UConn, Indiana, Notre Dame, Duke, UCLA, Utah, NC State, Michigan, Iowa State, Maryland, Arizona, Iowa, Kansas, I think. I didn't do the math on exactly how many of those teams have lost, but I think a large majority of those teams have lost since since we put that bracket out, so things are, are moving around quite a bit. There's a lot we could talk about on this subject. Um, so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna start at the top because I think the question of who goes on the one line after the week or the last two weeks of Ohio State and Stanford is particularly an interesting one. And I think maybe the one line is something that's taking shape a little bit more than how everything else is going to fall. Um, and then from there, I asked for your questions on Twitter. So I'm gonna go through of those questions that you guys had on bracketology talk through my thoughts on on all of those so starting out on that one line i think i mean the, the obvious one is south carolina right south carolina still number one team in the country still undefeated they are just i think pretty clearly have established themselves at this point as the number one overall seed that could of course change I I don't think it will. I think South Carolina will have to drop more than one game, I think, to fall out of that number one seat position overall. I think they would have to drop at least two games to for us to be starting to have a conversation about them not being the number one overall seats. So they haven't lost a game yet, so I don't know that we're going to see them drop two games. If we do, that'll be a conversation for when that happens. But for now, I think it's pretty safe to say that South Carolina is – like 90% chance going to be your number one overall, I'll see it when we get to Mark Vendez. While the rest of that one line isn't quite as clear, I think we're starting to kind of see a clear distinction of teams that we can expect are going to round out that one line. Of course, again, I'm going to say a thousand times in this conversation, probably the things can change because um, obviously this next group of teams could drop a bunch of games and then that that would change things. But right now, I think we're seeing a clear set of four teams that are vying for those last three spots on the number one seed line. Those teams are Ohio State, Ohio State was undefeated until, Monday night this week, they dropped their first game, lost to Iowa, so it's so not a bad loss by any means. Iowa, another team that we're talking about in terms of this top 16, top four seed lines grouping, so not a bad loss, but did lose their first game there, and then we've got Stanford. Stanford is their second game that they've lost this season. They did lose to South Carolina earlier. Clearly, that's not a bad loss, we just talked about South Carolina being the number one team in the country. Stanford lost a little worse than Iowa or Ohio State's. They they dropped a game to USC. Not a great loss, kind of a surprising game. Um, both Haley Jones and Cameron brick really struggled in that one, which I think is something surprising to see. They have definitely righted the ship since. They they had a good win over Colorado in this past week. Did had a good set of games this past week and also beat Utah, another team that we're talking about as kind of a top ten, top twenty team. So. Um, Stanford back on the right track, but that, that loss does affect them in a bracketology sense. We've got UConn. Um, UConn also has two losses. They lost that Notre Dame game when Easy Fud got hurt, also in that Maryland game. I think when you look at that Maryland game, the committee is not going to put as much emphasis on it, given that they were without Fudd, they were without Dorky Haas, and they were without Nika Mule. Um, the, the committee will take those injuries into account. So UConn with two losses, but definitely still in that, that group of teams that we're talking about on the one line as well. And then the final team that I've got in that group is Indiana. Um, and they, they've they got the one loss to Michigan State. Again, not a good loss, but that was before they got Grace Berger back. She's now back in the fold. So I mean, that's a consideration injury-wise as well. I think when you're looking at who's on the one line, right now and I like to talk about this as a group first right because I think these are your five teams that are vying for a number one seed and one of them is uh, they can't all we can't have five number one seeds so someone's gonna fall off but I think who that is that falls off is going to change a lot but I think this group might be a little bit more established when we're looking at it right now I think the team that falls off is probably UConn I did have them on the one line in that release two weeks ago but I think What changed theirs, and we were looking at a UConn team where Izzy Fud was close to being back. That injury was going to be something that was part of the past. Now we're looking at a UConn team where we've got Izzy Fud on a undetermined return timetable. She's expected to be back, so I do think when we look at you know when we are at this point in March and if she's playing and she's healthy, that is going to be part of the consideration. But for right now, I think because her status is a little bit more questionable, UConn maybe falls at the bottom of this group. I think it's splitting hairs, though. I think it's really, really close. UConn's played a really, really tough schedule, the toughest non-conference schedule of any team in the country, still a top two, top three overall strength of schedule. So especially when we look at that Maryland loss as being, one, not a bad loss, and two, a loss that they were missing so many key pieces in beyond easy FUD, I don't think – I think you're almost looking at them like a one-loss team, I think is is fair to say. So I think it's a very tight split between your Ohio State, between your Stanford, between Indiana, between UConn, and to choose those those two through four – or two through five in that S-curve. Like I said, I mean, Stanford, you're playing a really tough Pac-12 schedule right now. They also played a pretty tough non-conference Ohio State, I think, is, is lacking a little bit on the quality wins, but they've just won so much. And then also, again, with the injuries, J.C. Sheldon expected to be back for them by the tournament time. In Indiana, you're talking about not a great loss in that uh, game, but again, tough big Ten schedule. They have a really good win over UNC. They've got some of their quality wins under their belt, so really splitting hairs between those those four teams, um, and I think that's kind of the group that you're gonna be looking at against each other as you're rounding out who's gonna actually end up on the one line and who's gonna end up on the two line. Um, I think notably, you've got two Big Ten teams in there as well, Ohio State and Indiana both have to play each other. That might work to their their disadvantage in a little bit, especially if they end up playing each other twice, if someone, someone's gonna knock the other one down. So that's what's going on in the very top. From there, I kind of want to just go through some of these Twitter questions. Really appreciate everyone throwing those out there. So starting off with Elizabeth, she asked, How do ranked wins factor in considering the way the rankings have shifted all the season? And then she added in for all except for. Gamecock women's basketball which I'm going to assume is because we all know that South Carolina is the number one seed and there's not a lot to talk about in terms of the ranked wins because they're just beating everyone um but I think the important thing to differentiate here is that when you're looking at the bracket you're looking at the net ratings so the AP ratings is of course one way to look at these teams one way to rank these teams but it's a subjective rating it's not necessarily something the committee is using in their decision process over who's going to be seated where. It's really the na- net ratings and then there's a quad system in place that divides those those teams up into, qu- or those games up into quads based off of the net ratings. And um, if the game was home, when neutral court, things like that. So you're looking at that and it's gonna be a point in time. So it's like whenever the committee's looking at it. So yeah, Tennessee might've been for example, like the number two team in the country in the AP, or, the, or like Texas would be a better example, but um, Texas was the number three team in the country in when the original poll came out. Now they're at wherever they are in the net rankings, and that's the measure that the, that the committee is going to be looking at in terms of how those those games are rated. So I think that's important to keep an eye yeah. on that. When it comes to seating, it really comes to the net rankings, the AP poll. It's just, is of course another way to look at it, but it's just, it's not what's being used in in setting up the seating. All right, we've got a couple questions on LSU, which, if you were paying attention at the front, you might have noticed I did not mention in that original bracket, and I'll, I'll get into that in a second. I think before I go specifically to what these questions are, LSU is one of the hardest teams right now to understand where they would fall in this bracket because it's just almost an unprecedented situation to have a team that's so good especially with a player like angel Reese. a team that's having so much success they're number three and number four in the net rankings so they're really really high on the metrics but they've just played such a weak non-conference schedule that strength the schedule is improving with sec play but they just played pretty much historically weak conference schedule. I think that, or non-conference schedule, I think that's fair to say. So it's really hard to put them into a box as to where they should be seated because we just don't have a lot to compare to in terms of a comparable like power five type team that's played a schedule like that and how the committee has seated them in the past. I think when we talk about those top 16 seed reveals that should be coming, the number one thing I'm most interested to see is what the committee does with LSU um but kind of on that note, I don't have them in my original uh top 16 seeds that came out two weeks ago. I think I haven't gone through and redone the full top 16 yet they might be flirting with that that four seed line at this point I think they're you know they've picked up a couple more quality wins in the SEC since that last bracket but the reason I didn't have them in is, specifically for that strength of the schedule um and I've got a question here from from Ryan that I'm going to start with because this is kind of what I used in my decision to not put them in so he said so Princeton in 2015 finished the regular season 30 and 0 and got a rights or an eight seed in the tournament similarly to how LSU isn't Losing, but hasn't played a great team yet, and is poised for another number one seed. Something's not adding up there. Which, yes, I agree, but I don't think LSU is is in any way poised for a number one seed. In my opinion, at least, I don't think they're in that conversation at all at the moment. And there's just no justification, in my opinion, that you would say that they're a number one seed with the schedule that they've played at the moment in terms of quality wins. Their best win is over Arkansas. Um. Do I think the committee is going to have them as an eight seed like they had Princeton? Also, no. I think Princeton is the best comparative point. That that 2014-2015 Princeton team is the best comparative point we have for LSU in terms of trying to figure out what the committee would do because they were undefeated, because they played at a relatively weak strength of schedule, didn't really have any big statement wins. I still don't think it's totally comparable because you've got an LSU team, especially now, that's playing in the SEC. Those are stronger conference wins than an Ivy League conference win is, so it's still not apples to apples. Um, I do think that you know two weeks ago they they probably weren't in a hosting position. Like I said, now they're probably hanging around that four line. I think just being undefeated, and now that they've got a couple more quality wins, that strength of schedule is slowly rising, with um, you know how they're how they're playing in the SEC. So, I think they're moving up. They're definitely not in a number one seed conversation for me at this point. We've got a second question here on LSU from Adam saying kind of, what is the team's ceiling in terms of tournament seating? I'm just going to leave it at that. There's more details to the question, but I'm going to go into a couple scenarios here. So, I think you've got the scenario where LSU wins out, which is I would say highly unlikely because it likely involves having to beat South Carolina not once, but twice in an SEC tournament as well. So a very unlikely situation. I think that if you're going to talk about LSU as a number one seed, that is the only way that they're getting a sniff at a number one seed is if they were to beat South Carolina twice and be undefeated. I think you would have to have them in that conversation because the quality of two South Carolina wins would be high enough that you would have to consider that. Like I said, I don't think that's going to happen, so I don't think that's a realistic scenario. I mean, we never know, but I don't think they're going to go undefeated and beat South Carolina twice. Kind of going more into what Adam said in his question, it says, what if they finish with only the one loss in the SEC regular season to South Carolina and then in a hypothetical SEC tournament game or SEC title game against South Carolina. And both games are competitive single-digit margin, so they're not getting blown out of the water by South Carolina. To me, in that situation, I think they're probably I think they I don't think like they're stealing as a three seed because I think the thing that LSU is going to be lacking if they don't beat South Carolina at all this season is a quality win. You're going to be talking about a team where their best win is either Arkansas or Tennessee, depending how you look at it. I think Tennessee is going to end up being the best win. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit more about Tennessee in a little bit. But you're just not going to have a statement win on that resume. And I think as much as not losing counts for a lot, so much of having quality wins is such a big part of the seeding process that I just... I have a very hard time seeing lsu anywhere above a three seed without a win over south carolina
2: i want to tell you a story it's a story about a scandal broken relationships gossip rumors money corporate rivalry and a broom a performance enhancing broom my name is john cullen
1: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right. Our next question, kind of going back to a little bit, that first question on the rankings, but from Sam, he says, is the big divergence between the net and subjective rankings for some teams, for example, Tennessee, normal, or weird this year? So if you look at Tennessee, you have a Tennessee team that, currently is in the, the AP poll, they're getting votes, they're creeping their way back up, um, but they are number 12 of the net. I don't think it's weird. I think we see big differences in kind of metric rankings in the poll quite frequently. I think there's a lot of reasons for that. Sometimes the numbers don't do the best job at telling stories. Sometimes the numbers are probably more accurate. It's It's a double-sided thing. I think Tennessee is a particularly interesting example, though, because I think it's a case where the answer is probably somewhere in the middle. I don't know that I think Tennessee is the 12th best team in the country. I also don't think that Tennessee is not a top 25 team. I think they're a top 25 team, and I think rightfully so. But they fell out of the poll due to the way they struggled at the beginning of the season. They played a really, really tough schedule, and they've since kind of corrected the ship. They've won nine straight. The last time they lost was that Stanford game, which they played Stanford within single digits at Stanford. That's not a bad loss in any means. And their losses have come to good teams. It's the Ohio State's, the Indiana's teams we're talking about as number one, um, possible number one seeds. So while obviously that those losses are going to count against them, I think the way that they've been winning currently is also helping them climb up. I believe, I haven't, like I said, I haven't done a full read production. I think they're at like a seven seed in ESPN's bracketology at the moment. Um, I think they're a team, which this might be a little surprising to people. They're probably a sleeper pick to end up hosting in this tournament. I, If they keep going on the way that they're going, I think they have a shot at it. I think the thing that's going to be hard for them is – not picking up more losses. They've got some really good chances to get good wins over the next couple of weeks and the rest of the season. Um, But they don't have a lot of room for error because of those early season losses. So I think that's going to be the toughest thing. Can they pull off some of these upset type wins that they are going to have the opportunity at? over the next few weeks, and I think they could be a type of team that ends up hosting, depending how things go elsewhere, but you've got a chance to get a win over UConn this week. You've got a chance to get a win over LSU next week. You've got a chance to get a win over South Carolina late in the regular season, and then you've got a chance to maybe get another crack at both an LSU and a South Carolina in the SEC tournament. So trying to that's potentially five games that could be really, really – big steps for Tennessee to move up um, and also obviously can hurt them if they lose. But I think those are going to be big games to circle for Tennessee. If they can kind of continue these winning ways, they're going to keep winning, moving up in, in the, the bracket situation. So definitely a team to keep an eye on after, you know, a slow start to the season. All right. Next question. And I like this question because it kind of lets us think through a bunch of different teams in a collective on I mean, what kind of things that you're looking at. So a resume comparison, Creighton, Oklahoma, Maryland, Baylor, Villanova. I need to explain to me why ESPN has one of these teams as a 10 seed another is another four, no lower than six and as high as the three. So yeah, all this stuff comes down to resume. I think that's really important. And I'm going to say that group of teams again, just so I probably said it too fast the first time. So it's Creighton, Oklahoma, Maryland, Baylor, Villanova, for reference, I think. Um, you've got a, a Maryland team that's in that 3-4 seed range, an Oklahoma team that I think I would probably have on the four line right now. Maryland, or sorry, I said Maryland, Villanova and and Baylor not hosting, but you know, in a single digit seed situation and then a Creighton team that has really struggled lately and is is falling on that that seed projection. Um, I'm going to start with Maryland because I think that's the team of this group that's clearly the highest. And I think the thing that's setting Maryland apart and why even with four losses, you're seeing Maryland on a three line is it always comes back to quality wins, right? I said quality wins probably more times than you want to hear on this podcast, but they have a win over UConn and then they have a road win over Notre Dame. Those are two really, really good wins. Two of the best wins that you could have kind of at this point in the season, you're talking about two top 10 teams. Um, So even some of those losses, like the loss to DePaul, that are not great losses, those high quality wins go a long way in helping them Um, kind of be up there in the seating right now. And they're going to have a lot more chances as well at high quality wins in the Big Ten. So they're going to move up or down depending how they do with those chances. But what's separating Maryland from kind of the rest of this group right now is the high quality wins that they have on their resume. No one else in that group has a win of that caliber to point to. Now, when you move to an Oklahoma team, they only have two losses to Maryland's four, but they're still falling below Maryland. And the reason for that is that they just don't have those great wins. We talk about Yukon win, a Notre Dame win; those are great wins. And you've got a good win over o- Iowa State. If you're Oklahoma, some some decent wins: Ole Miss, Kansas; those are those are good are good wins. Tournament teams, and then they don't have any bad losses. I think this is what's kind of separates them from some of the teams that are further down this group. No bad losses. You have a loss to Utah. that's top 10 team and a loss to Baylor. So no bad losses. The Utah loss is bad in nature. And then it's like a 30 point loss and they gave up 120 points. Not great all around, but in terms of a team to lose to not a bad loss. So no bad losses, a good win over Iowa state and some decent wins over Ole Miss and Kansas. When you move next on the team I would have next in the same order there is Nova. So Villanova, again, you've got no bad losses. I think that's important. They've got three losses, just Baylor, Iowa State, Creighton, three teams that are not bad losses, all tournament teams, um, respectable losses. They don't have any great wins again. And then they don't really have as many good wins as in Oklahoma, which is the separator kind of there. It's, you know, we talked about an Iowa State. That's a really good win for for Oklahoma, and then Ole Miss and Kansas are are decent. You've got a a decent win over over South Florida for Villanova. That's probably their best win, but you don't have any great wins or good or even really good wins. I think had they picked up one of those games over Baylor or Iowa State, those would have been kind of the thing that. Villanova needed to take that next step, and I think they're gonna. They've got two or two, two, three cracks at it coming up with UConn as well. Getting a win over UConn would obviously add a, a great type win to that resume. But for now, they've got a South Florida win. That's a good win. You've got a Creighton win. That's a good win. But they just don't have any really good wins. And then I think. This is where it gets a little interesting is the Baylor. I think a lot of people have them at kind of a similar level as Nova. I think that's probably a little too high. I think they're probably more for me in the, the seven, eight range. Um, But a team, I think part of why you're seeing them, like you said, on the sixth line in, in ESPN is the age of Blackwell has been out with injury and they've had, that's a huge piece of this team. And they haven't had her for a lot of these games and adjustments will be made if she's going to be back and healthy. So I think that's part of why you're seeing her or a Baylor team on the six line is accounting for that injury. Um, they also have kind of in the spirit of what we talked about with Nova, some good wins, right? You've got a, a win over Nova, a win over Kansas, a win over Oklahoma—all good wins. That Oklahoma win is especially good. So that's a—I would say that one's a very good win. But they also have some not great losses, and I think that's what puts them a step below. Nova is that they've got a loss at Oklahoma or to Oklahoma State at home, a loss at, at West Virginia. Those are not good or not good losses. I would go as far as to say the West Virginia loss is a, a bad loss. Um, and those are going to hold Baylor back. And then the last of this group is Creighton. And I think what it comes down to is it's two pieces. It's not a lot of good wins. Despite the fact that Creighton played a really tough non-conference schedule, some of those wins just haven't aged well. The Nebraska win is not doesn't look as good as it did when that was a ranked team. Their best win right now is is really Villanova, That is Creighton's best win. And then they don't really have any other good wins either. You've got the Nebraska win, the South Dakota State win, the Marquette win. Those are all bubble-type teams right now. So you don't have a lot of, like, in confidently in the field wins and then the bad losses is really what's hurting Creighton the St. John's loss not great the Providence loss is just that one I think is hurting Creighton more than anything more than the lack of good wins more than anything is that, that bad losses really can hurt a team and in Creighton's case that that Providence loss is, is really a crusher, especially that combined with also just looking at the way they've played recently and the, way, you know they they lost pretty handily to Nova. The way you can really really beat them and mm-hmm. the bad losses of that nature as well. All right, and then the last questions we got kind of two, two situations or situational questions on two bid scenarios. So I've got one from Daryl saying, can the WAC get a second team to the NCAA tournament? For me, this one's a no. I don't think so. I don't think Stephen F. Austin, as much as they only have three losses, I, I just don't think they have enough quality wins to get an at-large. I think they're the best chance in the WAC of an at-large, and I, I don't think it's a good chance. So I, I just don't see a world where we get two, two teams in for the WAC this year. And then one from Howard McDowell what are some two bid Ivy scenarios? I, I love this question because Princeton and Columbia have been so good. And I would love for us to see an NCAA tournament where we get both Princeton and Columbia in the field. I think it's not as easy as you would hope for it to be to have the two of them in. I think had Princeton won one of its games over Nova, Texas, or UConn, it would be a very different discussion. But I think right now, Princeton's chances of getting in and at-large are, are pretty low. I think it's pretty difficult. I do think that Columbia has a decent shot at an at-large bid. They're probably considered a bubble team right now, but I like the way that went over Miami looks. I think the most likely scenario where you get a two-bid Ivy situation is Columbia winning out, so winning that second matchup with Princeton and winning the rest of the Ivy League, and then you get to an Ivy League championship game and Princeton beats Columbia. So then Columbia gets an at-large and Princeton would get in from from the Ivy tournament. I think that's probably what would have to happen to get a two-bid Ivy. Of course, how other things fall throughout the season will change that. Maybe Columbia can afford to lose a game somewhere and and still have that happen. But I think the most likely situation for a two-bid Ivy is Columbia wins out until that Ivy League championship game whoever would beat them, mostly Princeton. I think actually it's kind of critical that it's Princeton that would beat them in that game. I think a loss to someone else would hurt them more. So Princeton beating them in the Ivy League championship to get a two bid Ivy. All right. And that is the last of the questions. Thank you for listening. As always, make sure to rate, like, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to us. Also, be sure to subscribe to the stats site at for all of your NCAA women's basketball stats needs. And you can subscribe to our free newsletter on Substack as well for all of our best content in your inbox. If you like this Racketology stuff, you definitely want to subscribe to that. All of my updates throughout the year will be coming there. Also, be sure you're following us on social media at her hoop stats on all platforms. Thanks again for listening.